Hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush, author of the book on product-led growth. And here, I have none other than my co-host, Bramley, and Jackie, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Vendasta. So I recently met the folks at Vendasta at the Product-Led Growth Conference in San Francisco. And I was talking with their team about how they really just went all in on product-led growth. And I was so curious about it. I was like, I need to have these people on the Product-Led Summit to really just share how they did it. And when I reached out, they're like, Jackie is the one who injected product-led growth into our company. So here she is. We needed to dissect this and understand how they did it so well and dissect all those strategies. So we're not going to keep it all surface level. We're really going to try and dive deep here and explain the strategies, frameworks, all those fun things of how they pulled it off. So for the folks that are listening, can you share a story, Jackie, about how you became the chief strategy officer at Bendasta? Sure, yeah. So before I was chief strategy officer, I was something called the VP of growth, which is really just a fancy word for saying, get things done that fits no one else's job description. And I think it's a really interesting role and really important role. And you probably have this role within your organization, but it's someone that is really aligned around objectives and outcomes rather than functional roles or duties or projects. And so some of the things that I ran around doing was, hey, can we set up a customer success team or what causes our partners to churn or going for grants or looking at funding and whatnot. And I think what it allowed me to do in that role was sort of look at a problem that our organization was facing or blocking our growth really, and then test and experiment and take something from zero to one and then assemble a team to take that from one to a hundred. And so as I was doing some of those projects and looking at what was preventing Vendasa from growth, it really became into a strategy and, and working with our data team, looking at what does the next three years look like and what are the things preventing us from growing on that hockey stick that everyone strives for over the next three years? Yeah, no, like what does a chief strategy officer do other than set some strategy? <laughs> yeah, no, I've like Googled that a lot too. What the heck am I supposed to be doing? No, um, a chief strategy officer at Vendasta anyway is looking at the next really three to five years and figuring out what do we need to align for today? Where do we need to point the ships and make sure every one in the organization knows exactly where everyone's marching to. So it's a lot around alignment, getting our OKR, our framework, our KPIs, our North Stars, all those buzzwords up and running, and then assembling the teams and the resources to make sure that we're headed in the right direction. And so what we try to do in strategy is kind of predict the future by figuring out what's working today and then seeing if we can um, try to get to where we want to be tomorrow. So a lot of experimentation, a lot of Again, assembling teams and working on OKR frameworks and a lot of that cross-functionality to, to derive outcomes rather than assembling our own products or specific functionalities. So for the people who are listening that don't know much about Vendasta, can you just tell us a little bit of a background about what you guys do? Sure, yeah. Vendasta started as a very sort of robust enterprise platform or product. We developed one solution it was a reputation management solution, and we did that for small businesses. But we're located in central Canada. And so when the company was forming, we said, hey, we could be you know, really good at sales, marketing, product, and everything, but it might be hard to kind of get to market from where we are and we're not being close to our customers. Could we partner with people instead and take a white-labeled or a channel route? 
And so we made that decision to be the best in the world or strive to be the best of the world at making rock solid products and partnering with people who had existing client relationships and uh, deep industry trust, really. So we started with one product and then we built another product and then another product. And pretty soon we realized these people who sell software to small businesses, they don't necessarily have a product problem. There's a ton of SaaS products out there. They have a delivery, a support, a solution, an experience problem. How could we help those resellers or people who have those B2B client relationships do that more effectively and at scale? And so we have a marketplace of products, many that we develop internally, but a ton more that we have from other best of breed SaaS products that help small businesses. And then we have a platform for our partners who are media companies, telcos, banks, insurance companies, payments companies, anyone that has an existing client relationship with small businesses at scale they use our platform to deliver these solutions in a white-labeled and an effective way. I want to talk about product-led now. Uh, and why should companies care about product-led growth? And what, you know, you're talking about a strategy as seeing things that's coming up you know, and getting there. What are some trends that you saw in the marketing landscape or just in the tech landscape that made you say, hey, we need to do this or else things will not work well? So one of the trends that we saw in our business, it was about two or three years ago, Vendasta started serving the enterprise client. So because our platform is so robust, we needed to handhold a lot of our partners to create a lot of training, support, resources. And it was really expensive to do that. And so we always sort of created a focus around how do we go after more enterprises? But what we started to see in our self-signups and our demos was that it wasn't a lot of enterprises that were coming to us. It was a lot of the mid-market and they had you know fewer than 100 employees. And we just didn't have a way to support them. We knew that if we signed them, we wouldn't be able to give the love attention that they deserved and needed. And so we were really kind of ignoring them. And one of our first things to do in response to this, we started an experiment where we said, okay, if they're really worth it and they're serious about the platform, let's make it totally sure that they're tall enough to ride the ride. So we made setup fees really high. We created annual commitments. We really raise the bar that we needed our partners to say, no, if you're really serious about the Vendasta platform, we need you to pay a lot of money basically to do it. And what that caused was us building a big wall and then causing our partners to fall and not see success on the other side because they had this big cost of signing the platform and they weren't able to recoup those costs and it resulted in churn. And so we started reading about product-led and we said, okay, others in the industry like HubSpot and you know Box and some of these pioneers of product-led growth took it the total opposite direction. They said, let's just lower any friction in signing up and see who self-selects, see who creates qualification themselves and raises a hand. And so we tried and started to experiment and we were seeing really cool proof points. So to answer your question in summary, it was we couldn't serve a cohort of our customer group and that cohort became big enough to start paying attention to. And so we had to change the way that we went to customer or went to market with that cohort. And what really made you decide, like, you know what, we've been seeing those other pioneers of product-led growth pave the way. This is our time. This is the strategy we're going to choose for Vendasta to really take it to the next level. It was some of those early experiments, I think. And so one of the things we did was with our platform, it required, we usually, you know, once we sign a partner, there's the contract, then we onboard them. It's a pretty, you know, involved experience. We train them deeply. And so we said, well, why don't we just give 
people access, we create a lot of content and videos for them to onboard themselves. And so in those early experiments, when we saw people pass what we call the valley of death. So when someone passes the valley of death with Fundasta, it means they're off to the races. They're making more money with the platform than they're paying us on a monthly basis. And so we just kind of split test. Could we get people across the valley of death through content, through a friction-free and a touchless way without us having to handhold them? And much to our surprise, some of our advocates and some of the fastest growing and strongest partners we have today were those that just put in the hours, they learned the system. And because of that, they helped pave the way for others behind them and saying, this was janky, this was broken, need to fix this. If you skip through levels four till eight, you actually want to get to level nine, that's where the money is. And they helped create the product-led path that we see today. Yeah, every time you said the value of death and getting people past that, I couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) Luckily, I'm on mute. But it is such a funny kind of metric for people to really think about. But it's perfect in a lot of ways because the whole goal of a lot of products is, especially if it is, whether it's a marketing product or something else, is you want to help people make more money with the products and get past that point where it's not just this expense, it's an investment. And so... Really, once you get people past that point, it is oftentimes a no-brainer to stay on and get retained with that product because you are getting a ton of value out of it. And so since Vendasta was a very sales-led company initially, how did you make that transition to more of a product-led business? Well, let me preface it first with this is still a journey. We're not done. And like every day, you know, the PBRs that we do in our daily standups, we're talking about how do we just put more fuel on the fire in product-led growth? Because what I would caution against and what we're constantly going back and forth with is, do we turn on the taps entirely so that it's all self-service? Or you know, do we lean more on our sales team? And my message and the learning that I've come across is it's not an either-or and it can never be an either-or situation. You need to make your product so easy to use and so intuitive to use You have to allow those that are just too busy and want to be taken through the software and with a white glove experience, give them that opportunity as well. Some people have more time than money. Other people have more money than time. And if you ignore one of those cohorts, you're really shorthanding yourselves. And so today it is very much, and one of the big things that we learned in this is creating highly cross-functional teams because if product lived over here and our sales group live over here, there's distrust. They're not on the same page. They are not working toward the same goals. So one of the things culturally from our company that we've been doing is creating more of that squad approach where the acquisition squad is comprised of a product team, product marketer, a data analyst, but they're on and they live with our sales team. And so their North Star metric is how many people can we get to sign up and convert on the platform? And that's the sales team's goal as well. And so they're marching in the same direction. They're feeding each other's same goal. But we might do that and we might channel more traffic through the self-serve way. And then we might also have more of that hand-raised self-serve demo type of way as well. So we're constantly going back and forth. I'm curious about that particularly. How did you get the buy-in from the team to start that squad? Was it that, you know, we should do product lead and all of a sudden, did you purchase a, a small experiment first or did you just run away with whatever you had? So we actually changed our org structure. And I think that has a lot to do with our growth. We've done it probably every year and a half, two years that I've been with the company. I've been with the company for about six years now. And every major strategy shift the company goes through, we change our org structure. And there's 
I can't remember who said it, but you ship your org chart is like, I live by that saying it's so right. Cause if you have the wrong org structure in your company, you can't drive the strategy you're trying to achieve. And so early on when we were small, we were functionally organized. So we had a marketing team, we had a sales team, we had a product team, we had a customer success team. And that worked really well when we were, you know, under a hundred employees. After that, we needed to create cross-functional groups and we organized around product when we were really trying to get product market fit with some of our key platform elements and some of our product. And it worked really well because the outcome was, can we get adoption of this specific product? And everyone was laser focused and marching in that same direction. Well, the most recent org chart change that we made was now getting deeper into our user personas and our customer types and our customer cohorts. Because what we found is once you have these products developed, the types of people using those products are vastly different. Their use cases are different. What drives them, what they do before and after is totally different. Who you know, they are and where they come from, how much they're willing to pay is very different. So we've actually organized our company around the size of our customers. And that has allowed us with the products that we've built to super serve those customers. So product-led growth has been it's sort of developed out of necessity, but as an area of opportunity to serve our smaller customer cohort at scale. And it's all about removing friction out of their way. The enterprise folks get to have that handheld experience. But for our smaller folks that have more time than money, they can't afford that handheld experience and they don't really need it, to be honest. And so what we do is we pair the teams, the cross-functional product teams with our success team, our sales team, and our marketing team. And it's all about accelerating the goals of our customers. Awesome. That's really great to hear because I've seen that again and again in a lot of companies that are making that transition from sales led to product led is it really has to be done at the organizational level if you want to make it work. And I see a lot of people will say, you know, like product led growth, you might not need a sales team. Like some people will say that and it's like, well, no, like there is a different market. And so what I've seen work really well is having like your sales team focus on just like, okay, those enterprise accounts, keep them focused on that. There's value there. They got to help people make business cases. And there's so much value that sales can add to the sales process. Whereas for the smaller S&B markets where you would not be able to afford to even pay a salesperson to like focus on those people, then it's like self-serve. That makes perfect sense. And those people oftentimes are a little more tech savvy. They can usually figure it out on their own if you have a good product and you really invest in building that experience. So I love that. And on your end, like how have you really structured the entire organization? Like has that all changed or is it mostly just focusing like having more support for the people who are earlier on in the self-service journey and then have squads built around that? I'm super curious to hear how you broke it down. Yeah, sure. So we are the organizational structure of Vindasa right now is at the highest level. We have those customer cohorts, so large and then our mid-market group. And then we have our support layers underneath and within our our mid-market group. So the large customers also have the platform. So on a product level, they're the ones ensuring product market fit and really building the boulders, if you will. On the small cloud broker division, which is our division, we are all about you know super serving those smaller mid-market customers, but really focusing on the customer journey. So our North Star, our theme in 2020 is friction-free self-serve and delight. And so it is those that want to do things with the platform, they should just be able to do it. They shouldn't need to call us. They shouldn't need to request anything let's just let them do it. And so we've broken out our org into 
how do we acquire and help brand new customers see the value? So that aha moment, that wow, developing that habit. And then the second is all about activating them. Once they've created that aha moment, how do we make sure that we keep them? And then the last, so it's acquisition, activation, and then the third team is retention and growth. Those model after the journey of our customers with our platform. So if you're brand new, that's really the experience of that first team. If you're just getting started, it's that second team. And then those that have been with us for a couple of weeks to a couple years, we've got partners that have been with us for almost 10 years. Those are how do we keep, it's not just a funnel, it's that flywheel. How do we show them new elements of delight, have them adopt a new platform element that they might not know about before and continuously growing and educating them. Absolutely. And so speaking of flywheels, I know there's many kinds. The most often ones are all about business, but I want to talk about different kinds, which is how did you get the flywheel of people getting bought into product-led growth within the organization? Because like, where did it start? How did it evolve? How did it go from just one person having this crazy idea to an organization building products that are specifically built for this purpose? Um, Data talks. So there's something I tell my teams is there's only two ways to win a conversation or an argument. One is with data. The other is with a customer saying it so. So find ways to bring real feedback from customers. And, and we were hearing this over and over of, hey, we, we can't pay for this, but we want to do these things. You know, So that was validation. But the biggest thing was taking a small bite, not saying this is going to be a massive organizational change. Everyone has to adopt it and have one big sweeping change. A lot of what we try to do at Vendasa is rather than trying to turn a cruise ship, how can we create small schools of fish? And if one fish wants to veer off in the right direction and we see that it's right, it's like, okay, we're agile enough and we're structured properly that we, we can accommodate change really quickly and we can turn back and recreate correct course if it wasn't the right way. And so a ton of what we did was experimentation, like A-B testing, trying to take you know, one cohort that signed up, what does the retention curve look like this? If we, you know, introduce this feature or funnel them through this type of experience, what does that look like? And so a lot of the buy-ins just came from the numbers. And as long as you're measuring the right numbers, everyone else arrives at a conclusion. You don't have to try and champion anything. What were some of those early experiments that you ran? You know, I'm guessing they were very important because you wanted some quick wins so that you can you know, show it to the rest of the organization to kind of champion product led. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that we did was in August, I think it was 2018. It was tense because we had, you know, when someone wanted to sign up for the Vendasta platform, you had to fill out a demo form. We walked them through it. We gave them a white glove experience. We showed them mixture of presentation and live software. This is how it works. And so one of the risks we took was what if we just give them the platform for free and let them start playing with it? Would that... So the hypothesis was could we decrease the cost of acquiring a new customer by letting more people experience the platform and then having them hand raise afterwards and upgrade and convert? Because the thought was if we had more people and we acquired more people at the results, spend less time incubating them and trying to get to them to that conversion point, then we would be spending less per partner on cost of acquisition, right? Their CAC. And so one of the acceptance criteria, the things that we watched very closely was will our conversion rate decrease? Because if we're getting a whole bunch of people sign up, but there are a whole bunch of unqualified and are we going to tank basically our sales and trying this? And so we ran a little experiment. We opened it up in August just to see, oh boy, are our sales going to just 
grind to a halt this month if everyone sees this gnarly, complex enterprise platform that's not super intuitive to use, or will we see positive results? And what we saw is that our CAC dropped in about half and our payback went down by quite a few months. But the peculiar thing was, is the conversion rate actually increased. And what happened as a result of what we learned from that was we were afraid people were going to come into the platform that were really unqualified, that we wouldn't have otherwise qualified, and they would just bounce. Or we would lose really good people because they weren't seeing value and we couldn't show them that value or intercept that experience. But what we found is that we actually acquired a different type of customer than we were going after that we would previously have disqualified and not let through the sales channel. But we ended up converting more because they were like, no, this is really what I'm looking for. And even though you don't think I'm a customer of yours, it's exactly what I'm looking for. So that was a big eye opener. And that's that's great, especially when you can open up that funnel and see that, hey, there's a lot of other people here who just wouldn't like to go through that traditional sales process, but they're more than willing to just try it out, see it for themselves. And if they're tech savvy, they can figure it out on their own. And so I love that story because I think a lot of people are afraid like it's it's going to be, you know, cannibalize all these other leads and prospects. But in fact, it can often bring more than you expected. And I have seen this time and time again, whenever people do launch that free trial or freemium model, usually some people will see like a 20 to 30% increase in total signups on their website just based on that alone. So it's pretty cool just to see when you do open up the floodgates. <laughs> Absolutely. I think part of it is we're afraid, you know, you're afraid to open up and show how ugly your baby is sometimes because you know that it's not the perfect Airbnb experience. It's not going to be a self-driven, beautiful, like Vendastic came from this robust enterprise platform and now we're trying to democratize it for the mid-market. That's a hard thing to understand and who are we serving and how to make beautiful product experiences when we have so much. And I think that was really delaying us and that we're not ready. This is going to be ugly. And then finally, we just pulled the pin and said, someone's going to figure it out. And if they don't, then we're going to learn a whole bunch. And we did. And so I guess advice to you know anyone else that's trying this is just, just try it. See where you fall down. Because if it worked for us, given you know, we didn't have a massive design overhaul of our platform, but man, are we ever learning from the points and the sticky points people are tripping up on now. And that's where we prioritize the highest value of where we need to improve. Absolutely. And so for people that are going to make that jump based on what you just recommended, what are some things that they need to have in place before? Like I can think of like maybe it's product analytics or something just so you can really maximize your learning curve whenever making that jump. Yeah, so some of oh man, I feel like we drown in data all day long. Some of the key ones that we looked at straight, I mean, it's going back to your fundamentals. What is your CAC and your CAC payback of these? So one of the ones that we look very closely at is just our number of signups and then how are free signups and how are what we call our basic plus or our contracted signups are those growing month over month or are those declining? And and what's happening earlier on in the experience that might be causing those to, to decline. So CAC and CAC payback are super important ones as you're trying stuff like this. Obviously the conversion and how many people are actually taking the next step of your product. But what we're really zeroing in on in 2020 is things like CAC and LTV, those are lagging metrics and we need to be able to identify things way before those happen. So how do we create some of those aha moments earlier on? How do we create more of those habit metrics earlier on so that we can really look at 
engagement under a different lens by user type rather than just blanketing and saying, great, this retention curve looks good. We must be getting some type of long-term benefit from the people that are signing up now. So investing in a good tool set, I would say having your, your metrics in order is really fundamental, but then also taking it one step deeper and understanding what is the retention curves of your various cohorts? Where are they coming from? Which channels are working? Which use cases are they trying to solve for when they come to you? And did their expectations meet reality? And how do you measure that earlier on before churn happens? I want to talk about things that you wish you knew before you started here and now that you know. And those would be the advice for other companies to kind of avoid now that you've talked about the foundation. Seriously, though, there are so many things. One of the things I didn't anticipate would be so hard is getting a central view of your customers in one single source of truth. Like, so it's, you know, early on when we embarked on this, it was really about how do we bust down silos in between the functions? So sales and marketing, your neighbors, your best friends know you're on the same team. Like you are working together now. As you grow, the silos become really real. That's what we, I wish I would have known how far apart, even from the way people physically sit together is really important. So busting down silos, but the second would be, how do we grab all the customer information and look at it under one single view and slice that by cohort? And sometimes grabbing billing data over here to quantify what you know the average contract value is for a customer and then looking at their usage pattern over here and then trying to figure out where their conversion point or their lead source is over here. You want to be able to paint a really consistent story of what a user's journey is and what your best customers are. But it's really hard when there's all these disjointed data all over the place. And how do you make sure that you're looking and making conclusions with an accurate set of data? And one of the things that we found, for example, was, hey, this certain type of customer, we're getting so much demand for them. And this must be where our future is. And they're all asking for this one thing. But as soon as you put the lens of, well, their customer lifetime value, they're all churning after, you know, eight, nine months and they hardly spend any money with us and and they're not adopting the platform. It's like those actually aren't maybe the best people that we're able to solve their problem. We should actually be going after this type of customer. But unless you have those four different types of data sets, you can't make that conclusive type of story or piece of judgment. You could be chasing a white rabbit into eternity and not actually building what's best fundamentally for your business. Absolutely. And so a lot of people listening, they're going to be making some excuses up when it comes to why they shouldn't go the product-led route. And so I want to hear from your ends. Like before you went all in, what were some of your biggest worries about going product-led? I think some of our biggest worries is that we had let our customers down in that we product-led really relies on a beautiful product experience. And as consumers now, we expect as much in our business B2B worlds as we do in our B2C worlds. And, you know, when we were talking about this with the team originally, we said, you know, while it feels good to be, you know, taken through a demo and have that high-touch experience, you wouldn't sign up fill in a demo form, look at feature comparison, cost-benefit analysis on the best video hosting, only to be taken through a salesperson and a BDR and be qualified in order to ultimately sign up for Netflix. Like that sounds bonkers, right? No, you would just sign up for Netflix, experience it, and then renew or not renew after your trial is over, right? But that is just what we're used to in our consumer world. And it making that shift 
to the B2B world, that paradigm change was hard to kind of just wrap our heads around. And so I think because our experience wasn't as beautiful as Netflix, we were afraid of potentially losing a bunch of great customers because they weren't ready for that. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, if your problem solves a need, it's okay if it's a little ugly and not quite experienced. If they have enough of a need, they'll find a way to make it happen. And as long as you create signals within your product to be able to raise a hand and get help when they need it so that someone can parachute in and, and put them on the right course and get them to over that valley of death again, and seeing value in your product, then make the leap because there's a ton of people that don't have the means to pay for something, but want what you can offer and are willing to pay for it once they experience value with it. And I think we can sum that all up with your baby isn't perfect, but it's okay. (laughs) Okay, it'll grow up. Those ugly little dimples. kidding. Dimples are cute. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. My little guy's got dimples. They're cute. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to really go through how you injected product-led growth into Vendasta. Now, for people that want to learn more about you and what you're up to at Vendasta, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. Check us out. Vendasta.com is our website. But if you want to check me out, um, my name's Jackie. I'm Jacqueline Cook. One on LinkedIn is that URL, but add me on LinkedIn. Tell me about your story. I'd love to hear other. I love reading about other companies' product-led growth journey because, wow, there's so much to learn still. It's just such a new philosophy and I'm learning stuff every day. So excited about what you guys are doing and happy to share anything I can. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jackie. My pleasure, guys. 